we're not going to do a cold open today. We're going to do a live open where we just go right into our show. So we're going to start by saying, you know, we're not going to talk about the election on this episode. Now, there's a couple of reasons for that. One, this is a football podcast. But two, you know, despite all of our bluster and my ranting, we do want this to be a place where everyone feels comfortable, like they have a safe place here. And that, you know, everyone, at least on a personal level, feels like they are afforded the same amount of human dignity that we should offer all humans. And if this is the place that you come to not think about stuff, then we want you to be able to do that. So we're going to keep it pretty apolitical in the capital P sense, although we're going to get into in your SCBC questions, you might have set us up for a couple of things, but we're not going to talk about the election. So having said all that, Justin, what's good? Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. And today we're going to talk about the Auburn Tigers game in wild preview fashion, as we tend to do. Uh, this episode's got everything. It's got Tigers. It's got Eagles. We talk for a whole hour without recording before we get here. You know, so we're like real good and broken in. Yeah, we. So, it's practice. This one's going to be good, y'all. Before we get right into it, though, we should tell you, this episode is sponsored and supported by our friends over at GoMem. Our very nice friends over at GoMed, uh, the only one we really know is Barrett, but we got to meet him this past weekend. He's pretty neat. Yeah, he's very fit and a very nice man. Very fit. Nice family. He's got yeah. everything going for him. Good for you, Barrett. I guess that's what happens on doctor's wages. Uh, we'll talk more about GoMed at the half. Just know that they're bringing urgent care to your house. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. We'll talk about the more about making urgent care mobile. We'll see him in a bit. We'll start this episode as we start most episodes with subjective narratives. And what we mean by that is we're going to start real big with a lot of wild ideas. Mm-hmm. And we're going to break it down and see if there's any nuggets of truth or kernels of uh, you know actual true stuff in there. And, and try, just trying to break it down together. Uh, but like I tend to do, I went deep into the cesspool that is Twitter and social media. And I found some subjective narratives for us to talk about. Uh, just so you don't have to. It's kind of the whole plan there. I'm doing a service for free. So, mm-hmm. uh, but, but speaking I'm, of I'm that... Excited. Yours is actually the very first one. Uh, yeah, you put well, one down. Well, yeah, so there are two there are two narratives I'm interested in here. Well, one mainly is just, you know, where is this Auburn team? I think one of the big narratives coming into this game, and I think it's this is not just like a hot take narrative. I think this is a real one, is that, you know, to some extent, Gus Malzahn is coaching for his job. And I just think the question is, is there any quit in this team? And I don't say that in sort of a like hot take meathead way. I just mean... When you have a very talented team that has a bad season, like Florida State, and Auburn's not like Florida State, but they, you know, they're a very talented team who's having this funny season, it's always possible that the wrong set of circumstances leads to the team just kind of imploding. And I'm just interested to see if that if UGA is even capable of making that Auburn team think about that. So what's the deal with the Gus bus? <laughs> did you, oh, even, did like you use it? The, the death of the Gus bus. Like the, the Gus bus is what they're always like. That's what climb aboard the Gus bus and that's what they all said when he when they were like <laughs> you know, going to national championship so the question is just you know are they going to stay that way that crank noise is me opening the bus door and everybody yeah. climb aboard and somewhere yeah. down in the uh, in the middle of whatever desert is between georgia and uh, auburn because i assume there's some sort of desert has got to be whether it looks like one or not the bus breaks down so just the Gus bus black jerseys everybody's talking about these black jerseys what can you give everybody a quick just a, a quick history of why it's important why the black jerseys are important against Auburn? So if you didn't know, 2007 was the first year that Georgia wore black jerseys. Um, it was Auburn was very very favored in that game. I think they were like the fifth team in the nation or something, fifth or seventh. 
they came out and we beat them. And they, you know, UGA came out in pregame in red jerseys and then came out at the, you know, at the tunnel in black jerseys. And I don't know, it was just, it was a really powerful moment. It's the loudest I've ever heard Sanford Stadium, including the 2012 LSU game uh, or 2011 LSU game. The one that everyone says is like the standard for loudness in Sanford Stadium. I was on the field for that, playing very loudly during Krypton and could not hear myself play. Like usually you have an internal tone in your head when you play brass instrument and you're kind of singing to it. And I get, I could not hear that. It was, uh, it was just the, it was a visceral roar of the crowd. It was an incredible, incredible moment. So, you know, there's always the, I guess, desire to black out Auburn when it's a home game. And, but Kirby has definitely put the kibosh on that. Don't you have a quote somewhere about this? I do actually have a Kirby quote here. It's Kirby. And I quote, I don't think you need energy and enthusiasm against Auburn. If we do, we've got some other problems. I just don't think that's relevant. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Kirby's thought process is probably that, you know, when we when we wore the black jerseys against Auburn the first time, Auburn was better than us. And Kirby would like to not have a talent disadvantage to Auburn, and I don't think he does this year at all. I don't know. I just think he he's a guy who is not really into uniform gimmicks and there was certainly a, a quite amount a big amount of fake juice in the mark Richt era and so i i my my sort of take on it is that kirby smart unless it's like we're so much better than the team that we're definitely going to win he's not going to risk losing to a team in black jerseys just for the optics and also you know he doesn't it's pretty clear at this point he doesn't dress himself so <laughs> pleats visors haircuts the kirby smart starter pack the very last piece that I wanted to talk about is the, the history of this whole thing. And I won't go deep into it. But the one thing I will talk about is the, the mascot controversy. And it's really not as much of a controversy as some people would like to think it is. You know, looking into it, they, they of course, the three things I'm talking about is the, the war eagle, the tiger, and the plainsman, which are the three pieces of like this strange Auburn trifecta that uh, have all spoken to the identity of this team and program. And just a little bit about it the the war eagle itself is actually like a, a battle crime it's something that was uh that's been screamed for centuries and centuries and was eventually adopted by confederate soldiers who fought in the south during the civil war but one of the legends has it the first war eagle was found wounded after a battle called the battle of the wilderness during the civil war after nursing this eagle back to health the confederate soldier that found it eventually became a professor at auburn and so that's like one of the things that people say why there's a war eagle. But more interestingly, against Georgia in 1892, which is why we we tend to call this the Deep South's most, uh, the oldest rivalry, the oldest rivalry in the South, yada, 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 all these different ways to call it. The war eagle broke away in this game from the professor that that had the, the eagle. It circled above the field. And uh, while this eagle was like circling the field and like looking for prey and doing cool eagle stuff, the tiger's scored the winning touchdown and ended the game like following the victory this eagle apparently fell to the ground and died which is the piece of the story for whatever reason that immortalized it in history so a few little war eagle pieces the tiger is just they are the tigers that's all yeah. it is i'll be the yeah. tiger and the plainsman you had a, a piece about the plainsman the, this guy wrote uh he wrote a poem his name was oliver what, oliver goldsmith he wrote a poem that doesn't have anything to do with so far as i can tell with auburn but the first line of it is, oh, Auburn, the loveliest or sweet Auburn, loveliest village on the, of the plain. And so the plainsmen are the people that live in Auburn, the loveliest village on the plain. And um, it's really interesting because the deserted village is about a village that the guy like grew up in. And it's like, you know, his halcyon days and now they're gone and he's wishing for them to be back and asking for the memory of. I don't know, asking for the memory of them to live on forever, which is really interesting. And the the very last piece I'll kind of add to this whole this this subjective narrative this brewing is the idea that uh, <clears throat> not the idea, but there, there's some 
people talking about recruits that may show up this weekend. And there's specifically a couple four-star recruits that I was looking into. I think one of them is Noah Kane, and the other, uh, the name escapes me at this moment. A couple four-star recruits that might come out that are both running backs. Nick, yeah, Noah Kane, and then there's another lower-ranked one that I can't remember. But then Nicobe Dean, who is the number one overall inside linebacker, I think he's from Mississippi, is coming. So it's going to be a big recruiting night. And actually, it's been a month since uh, UGA hosted a home game. So for recruiting purposes, these three next three weeks deal. are actually super important. I think that's kind of all you had. Do you have like a history lesson you want to get into before we get into the more, uh, the more advanced stats? Any like his historical uh, trends to this rivalry? Oh, yeah. So I can talk a little bit about kind of where this rivalry, what, what it's seeded into. So looking up on our Winsipedia, this Georgia-Auburn rivalry, we have uh, the series is at 58-56. Georgia eking out two wins over Auburn uh, all time with eight ties in between. The current win streak is at one with Georgia winning in the SEC championship game last year. So this is the first time we've seen them since then. The largest margin of victory was... 1900 which went to auburn 44-0 the longest streak that either of these teams has held is at nine between 1923 and 1931 it goes to georgia as well and then scrolling further down down to like the the area that talks about all-time record championships bowl games wins all time bowl record you'll see a lot more red than you see orange on this just because georgia just has a more accomplished history uh, as we can definitely see from this but it's not by much so these are two teams that that's in the, the the dynasty of the these two teams there's the history they, they've been pretty head-to-head uh, since their first meeting way back in 1892, that dreadful, dead War Eagle game. So, you know, it, it's got a lot of history. It's got a lot going for it. This is just a fun game every year. And uh, this may be one of the last few years that we end up seeing Auburn this late in the season, I feel, too. There's been a lot of talk of that. that About moving them early. Malzahn wants to move them back earlier. They want to be earlier because they also play Auburn in a couple weeks, or Alabama in a couple weeks, excuse me. And so it just really sucks to play these two teams who are kind of in the, the you know, like peak uh, conditioning and just the, they're they're really peaking out right now. And, and mm-hmm. To be teams that have to play them every year probably sucks pretty bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, I I have no sympathy for them because we caved to them, and when they re, when they added teams and we had to switch everything around, we as a result of that we took we we played them in Auburn two years in a row. So it's like I personally, if I were them, I wouldn't deal with them at all. I think we should just we should play here two years in a row and reset the rivalry so it's correct. Greg McGarity won't do that because. Of things we can't talk about. So moving on. It'd be so cool if we played in pods, though. We don't have to play We're every team every year. Pod scheduling. Yeah. Pod scheduling. Come on. Well, All right. With pod scheduling, we could play. Uh, we could play the teams we want to every year. We could. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, but just and the other teams that aren't nearly as important, we can move them fewer and further between. Anyway, mm-hmm. you want to hit me with the nitty gritty? Yeah. So let's go over some stats. So Auburn S and P plus. They are six and three. They have a six point one um, second order win. So they're about a six six win team. Uh, they probably should not have won. They probably should not have won the game um, against Texas A&M. But similarly, they probably should not have lost the game against Tennessee. They had a seventy-one percent win percentage, so they they average out to about six wins right now. Let's see. Uh, they are the eighty. They are in the eighty-sixth percentile of S and P plus. They are fifteenth ranked overall. They are on offense fifty-seventh ranked, and on defense they are ranked tenth. 52nd in special teams, and last week they were 15th with no changes this week. So running down their five factors real quick. 
on offense, they are 75th in, in mar- success rate, 85th in marginal efficiency. Thank God they're 75th in success rate. We're not very good at defending that. They're 85th, they're 85th in explosiveness, 69th in marginal explosiveness, 18th in average field position, 103rd in points per uh, scoring opportunity. Expected turnover margin is 72nd, and actual turnover margin 53rd. Only thing to note there on the offensive side, 103rd in points per scoring opportunity has a lot to do, and we'll discuss this later on, but this is just a bad rushing team right now. They got a lot of talent especially on the perimeter, but their offensive line has not been playing well. And frankly, you know, they just have not been able to rush the ball with any sort of consistency. They'll have a couple of breakout breakout plays, but they're not getting from first and 10 to second and six very often. Defensively, on the other hand, is a much different story. They are 13th in success rate, 28th in marginal efficiency, 83rd in ISO PPP, um, 34th in marginal explosiveness. So not the best team in terms of defending the explosive play. 32nd in average field position and fourth in finishing drives. So as bad as their offenses is in the red zone, that is how good their defense is. They force a lot of field goals. And that has a lot to do with the fact that for all the weaknesses of their offensive line, this is one of the better defensive lines in the nation. It's probably not in the top two. I think that's probably Alabama and Clemson respectively, but this might be the third or fourth best defensive line in the nation. It's it's nasty. Footprint personality-wise things, uh, Auburn, 82nd in standard down run rate, 77th in pass down run rate. Frankly, that's just, you know, that's not normal. Most Gus Malzahn's teams, most, Malzahn's bread and bread are the inside veer, the zone read, the, you know, short side option, all that crap. It's not crap. It's he he runs a good offense, but his bread his bread and butter is he's what he's been doing since he was you know pitching this uh, offense and on DVDs to other high school coaches in the early two thousands. What he's always been doing is he's basically a run first team. Now he does he's not going to look like you know Georgia Tech, and for all the fact you know his vaunted the the, the fact that he's considered a spread offensive team is secondary to the fact that at its core this is a inside run game team. And so the the fact that they're not running on standard downs does not bode well for their success. Adjusted pace, 29th. They run pretty fast, and that's just an Auburn thing. Havoc rate allowed, 62nd. Percentage of ta- solo tackles, 79th. So like I said, this is a team that likes to run it inside traditionally, but when they're good, their percentage of solo tackles is going to be a lot higher or um, in terms of how much they're going to put people on islands because the sort of traditional... Gus Malzahn team, they run the inside beer and then they throw out to the flats and they throw bombs. So they're going to put their wide receivers on islands and make you make one-on-one tackles most of the time. So the fact that they're, that number is low also just speaks to the relative inefficiency of this team in terms of what Gus Malzahn actually wants to do. Defensively, uh, footprint-wise, biggest thing, overall havoc rate is 21, which is fueled by an 11th overall defensive line havoc rate. However, their linebacker havoc rate is 75th and their DB havoc rate is 28th. This is a team that causes a lot of havoc. However, you know, and it's not necessarily a team where you want to, you know, get in an eye set and try to run against their defensive line, but it is a team that you can beat on on defense. And I think Texas A&M showed that pretty well. And the way they did it is they just sort of like game planned around the defensive line. And I think you can kind of see this in their havoc rate numbers where their their linebackers are just, I mean, they have one very good Russian linebacker. They're probably the best defensive player outside of the defensive line is, is their middle linebacker, but other than that, you know, their back seven is just not, it's not at the level that we're used to seeing from an Auburn back seven. Um, so you see anything in there that you want to, you want to go over? I know you have a lot of like stats worth highlighting stuff that you want to talk about. So one of the biggest things that I found was while I was putting together the the show notes for this episode was I was, I copy and pasted the, the Kentucky preview and then just added everything in the Auburn stats in there. And as I was adding these over the old Kentucky stats, I noticed that there were a lot of similarities in both the offense and the defense, specifically pertaining to the five factors comparison. And so just going down, like 
there was give or take maybe five ranks on most of these except for one very important very good piece of our offense is that their defense is against explosive offenses it's ranked 83rd whereas kentucky was 13th that feels good uh that's definitely a good thing but the whole point of me saying that is that we have a game in our very recent memory to compare this next game to. And so a lot of the things that we're wanting to see from this game, we just saw in this past game. Uh, the, the best part about it is that where the Kentucky game was much more about dinking, ducking, being efficient, and just keeping the ball in our hands, this game is going to be a lot more, I think we, we could be a lot more diverse with our offensive attack. We can be efficient, we can be explosive, we can do everything in our playbook and still be just as successful, I feel, as we were last weekend, which is really great. The other piece is that this defensive line, uh, Auburn's defensive line, is super havoc play E, uh, like you said. like Their linebackers seem to play a bit more conservatively, whereas their defensive line is going to put a lot of pressure on our quarterbacks, no matter which one we see. And it might be a little bit of both since there was some uh, some whispers of a Jake Fromm injury this week. So he might be in and out. We might be saving a bit for the uh, the, the the rest of the season there. So... We'll see. Um, the other piece was just that they are fairly consistent in how well he defended all four downs. So breaking down in standard and passing downs, it was interesting to kind of look through that they're pretty good uh, just across the board against the pass and the rush, except when defending against explosive plays like we just talked about. And even more specifically, it's passing in standard downs. And so I think that that might be something we see if uh, if, we're be just, if we are to be successful this game. And in those standard downs as well, they tend to play a bit more conservatively. So the Havoc rate drops considerably during those uh, first two downs. So just things to kind of see. The other piece is that although, you know, we, we say it every week, like don't sleep on this team, you know, college football is crazy, anything can happen. But we especially should not sleep on this Auburn team because their record does not entirely reflect how how talented this team is. Although their second order wins are right at about what they're what they're at, I think that the strength of schedule for this team, considering S and P plus, is a lot more telling to their talent level than what we're seeing. Which their their strength of schedule is 29th, and to give you a reference point, we're 50. Alabama's 57. So just a a few ranks there. Well, just a couple of things I was thinking about, and just to build off of what you just said, um, I, I do want to point out in terms of comparing this game to the Kentucky game, it is true that Auburn is a far more talented roster at a raw level than Kentucky is. And, it, you know, in, um, in Bud Elliott's 2018 blue chip ratio rankings, it, which is basically just like what percentage of four or five stars do you have on your team? Because to win a national championship, you basically have to have 50%. Um, Georgia is the, is the fifth highest at 69% and Auburn is the ninth highest at 62%. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is a very talented team and certainly a farmer talented team in Kentucky. However, Kentucky is actually playing the 15th ranked um, schedule in the nation as opposed to uh, Auburn's 20th. And so I, I think our 29th. And so I think it's hard to say it's hard to d- be dismissive of the Kentucky win just because Kentucky's name is Kentucky. That was a very good team <laughs> that didn't have the talent of depth or the depth of talent that we do. And Auburn does. However, you know, I think that there's some signs that maybe this Auburn team, however talented they are, may not be as good as their talent is at this point. They have an excellent stuff rate. They're 10th of the nation, but everything else is just slightly worse. Uh, you can basically, I, I, when it comes to rushing S&P Plus, I think this just speaks to the fact that you can basically move the ball on these guys. They're going to, if you are stupid and you run sort of the obstinate Kirby Smart offense, which I don't think we will, and you try to like run it up the gut on these guys without any wrinkles or anything, yeah, they, they can do... They have a very, very good defensive line. But, you know, they, they're they 10th overall in stuff rate. 
However, they're 34th in marginal efficiency. They're 21st overall in rushing S&P Plus, which is good, but is not as good as their stuff rate. And I think that that just speaks to being able to move the ball in their pack seven. You know, the other thing I was thinking about defensively with them is the fact this is not really a great team on sacks. Um, they are 67th or 62nd in standard down sack rate, and they are, what, 34th and passing down sack rate. So like when they have the opportunity to get after the passer, they'll they're good at it if you can get them in third down and long, you know, third and long. However, like they're overall kind of indifferent um defensively in third and long, 55 in success rate in those situations. So you know, this is what I would say is that this is a very good defense built around one very good unit, but I don't think that they're they're that they're suffocating to the point where you can't game plan them around them if you're savvy. That's about all I have on the actual stats um do you want to go into halftime sure i'll follow you into halftime yeah come with me (laughs) come with me into this magical halftime world let's step off into halftime it's talk about gomed it's beautiful out here i love it here in halftime gomed as we mentioned at the very beginning of the episode is comprised of a very nice uh burly man with a family named barrett and i think there are a few other founders in there too but i'm pretty positive they're all doctors if i had to guess just based off their current career choices, they're probably doctors. But GoMed is an organization that's mostly comprised of, one, burly men, nice families, and UGA alumni, uh, nerdy folks just like me and you, uh, that believe that quality healthcare should not be relegated to just brick and mortar. And what that means in practice is that they are taking the whole doctor experience and they're bringing it to you, wherever you may be, whether that's at your home. I think Barrett once mentioned to me that he would love to go to like high school football games, college football games, you know, they want to be where the people are, you know, they don't want to make the people come to them, which is really a a novel idea, uh, truly, because it's, I'm being sarcastic, because it's been happening for hundreds of years, you know, house calls by doctors, even as early as the 1930s accounted for 40% of doctor patient meetings, and it flipped since then. By 1980, it was only it was less than a percent. These days, it doesn't have to be just reserved for the old sickly and the too wealthy. It can be for everybody, and that's what GoMed wants to do. They want to bring that whole lovely experience to you. Children licking the walls and everything. But at home, they're licking your own walls. I realize that that sentence out of context doesn't make any sense. They're licking, they're, they're licking the walls that you want them to lick. They're licking the walls you own or mortgage, whatever. You do you. I don't know your life. But yeah, these guys are great. Uh, they have locations all over the place. They have them in Atlanta. They have them in Charleston. They have them in Daniel Island and Mount Pleasant. They want to probably expand. We've talked about it a little bit, but not really uh, any hard facts or anything. But, you know, we're on the GoMed board. We're going to be talking to them soon about expansion. So the votes will be going through one day. Motion to expand, Nathan? Granted. I mean, seconded. (laughs) The motion passes. All right, GoMed. Ball's in your court. Yeah. Yeah, go check them out. These guys are great. They want to bring urgent care to you. And one day we'll come up with a, a really catchy slogan and a zinger to bring all of this all together. But in the meantime, go check them out at gomed.net. There's a phone number there. You can schedule an appointment. Maybe they'll give you a flu shot if you ask them real nice. Let's talk about things we want to see. Okay, so uh, first thing I want to see is Ben Cleveland. I want to see his big, beautiful face out on the field. He's running second team right now as of the last practice reports that I've seen. And, you know, I just, I want to see him. I think he's a very, very, very good offensive lineman. And I think that we're better with him in, despite the fact that we have a very, you know, we have a very deep offensive line. You still want your best players out there. Second, I would like, I would really like to see three freshmen, three specific freshmen getting heavy minutes in our, on our, on defense who aren't already. So what I mean is not Tyson Campbell. Um, but I think, you know, for us to be very successful in this game, we need to see more minutes, if not like half the game, we need to see like more minutes from Channing Tindall, 
or a few more minutes from Otis Reese and more minutes from Adam Anderson. I think Channing Tindall and Adam Anderson are in particular important because this is a team that has a lot of speed on the perimeter and they like to throw to the outside edge of the defense, especially short. And so if you are a linebacker who easily is caught flat-footed, um, which some of our linebackers have had a tendency to do this year, uh, they will run right past you. Uh, offensively, a couple of things I'd like to see. I'd like to see the toss sweep. Um, one, because that can really help against aggressive defensive lines. Two, because the toss sweep is the most beautiful play in football. Uh, I'd like to see a screen. Um, I think screens are a very good way to, if not negate, at least, you know, try to slow down a little bit Auburn's defensive line, especially if we do wide receiver screens, screens to the outside, stuff like that. Just stuff to keep them moving left to right and laterally and just not letting them pin their ears back. This isn't, if I said things we want to see, so I guess this is a little bit literal, but something I want to see, if I were to take one, if I were to have a time traveler who would give me one piece of information other than the <laughs> final score to predict this game, uh, I think an interesting thing to be would be to see the score of the first quarter, because I think this is a game where if the score is close in the first quarter, which I think it will be, then any outcome is possible. You know, we could win close we could win big they could win close i don't really see them winning big however if this score at the in the first quarter is like 28 to nothing georgia or 21 to nothing georgia or maybe even 14 to nothing georgia that could be bad for auburn and in that instance where we have like an explosive play or we get a pick six or something like that it'll be interesting to see a does georgia take its foot off the gas because we have a little bit when we've gotten gotten up this year Mm -hmm. and b does auburn stop playing composed football because i think that with the season that they've had there's a chance that they do so what do you want to see Ooh, i want to see that uh that defense we saw last week that defense has stopped benny snell because instead of one big benny snell boy auburn has like six little benny snell like i don't know benny snell-esque boys yeah benny snell-esque so there is no one quite like benny snell i will say that saying that what that looks like for me you know, everybody talked about our, our suspect run D all year. And we showed up, we stopped Kentucky's run D, we held, you know, Benny Snell to less than 100 yards and less than four yards per carry. It was an outstanding game. But this time around, they have a few more weapons than Benny Snell, and arguably more efficient weapons, though not nearly as big mm-hmm. or as explosive as Benny Snell. I would agree. And so it, it's definitely something to be concerned about, especially uh, years going forward, because a few of them are freshmen. <laughs> <laughs> and right. so this is a team we play every year, of course, and these running backs are small. They're uh, very quick. They're great side to side. They might not be the biggest guys in the field, but they are, are damn near the fastest. Um, mm-hmm. Two of their freshman running backs right now, uh, both have more than two touchdowns each. The The better of the two, Whitlow, has uh, five touchdowns, but they both combine for about a thousand yards. And both of them on the year have more than 5.7 yards per carry, which Although is I will say, dangerous. Although I will say... Cam Martin, who was like the heir apparent at their running back spot, Mm -hmm. Cam Petaway, Petway, I can't say his name right. It doesn't matter. Uh, (laughs) Cam Martin has had problems with injury this year. He's a small guy. He has. Um, He runs hard, but he is not a big guy. He definitely does not have as many results right now as these other two running backs. But uh, all that to say is I'm not nearly as worried about Cam Martin for that very reason that you just shared as I am about the other five people that have gotten touchdowns on the ground this year at Auburn. And so right, stopping the run right. D is going to be key to our success. It's going to be huge. Yeah. At bringing those yards per carry down, making them uh, run the ball way more often, you know, keeping the game closer, I think, until the second half and then forcing Jarrett Stidham to throw, putting pressure on him because this team loses when Jarrett Stidham has more than two sacks. Hmm. Really? Yes. Every loss That's they've had this year, they've had uh, no less than two sacks on Jarrett Stidham and they've had to throw 
more consistently in the second half than they have in the first half. And so I think that this is a game where we play really close. We're biting our fingernails uh, up to the halftime. And then third quarter, as UGA tends to do, we come out swinging. Um, we just wear them down. We have better conditioning than most teams out there. And so, yeah, I think that's true. And I think we might see a little bit more Justin Fields this time around. One, because that Jake Fromm injury we talked about earlier, but also because I think that'll really mix them up. I think that this is a this is a team we want to pass on, but also if we can mix it up and make them not expect the pass a bit more um, and not use Jake Fromm to do so, I think we'll be okay. I think in general that this is a team that if we run on them, they're kind of sunk because what they need to do is make us pass the ball when we don't want to. And if they can't do that, and that's always true, but specifically because of the 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 strength of their the strengths of their defense, if they can't do that, then they're they're sunk. All right, so we got some over under to this game. Yeah, over under over under. Which is it? Fifty fifty. <laughs> yeah. So over under two hundred rushing yards for UGA. I'm gonna say over. What do you think? I like that. I like that. It seems tough because I think this is gonna be a game we might pass a bit more on. But I also see this game, uh, us winning this game and just running the hell out of the ball. So I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go over at the end of the day. Uh, what's your first one? What did you say? What's yours? What are you gonna say? That was mine. Did you say oh, over? I, I said over. Okay. Over. Over. My very first one is going to be Auburn success rate per quarter is going to be over under 42 percent, which is the national average right now. 42 percent is a, it's pretty typical, you know, as the average tends to be. Uh, <laughs> quick point of reference i'll look back at that auburn texas a&m game which is not necessarily a representation of everything this auburn team has done all year but for instance this is a game they should have lost they very well should have lost until the fourth quarter when they pulled it all together their per quarter success rate was 20 percent, 35 percent, 13 percent, and 63 percent of that fourth quarter when they kind of eked it out so where do you think we stand um, I'm going to say under because this is not a very efficient team. And I just think that if we, I, I really think that if we just have an okay game that we can keep them under that just because I don't think they're that efficient. Yeah. I, that's the thing. Yeah. This team has to be efficient in order to win this game. They're not going to win by explosiveness because we're, we're too good against the explosive play. But if they were more efficient, if they plan to be more efficient and somehow show up and become more efficient, I think they yeah. have a much better chance of winning. Yeah, I will too. also say under along with you. Next, I want to see over under five havoc plays from a uh, Auburn's defense. Uh, I think that's over. This team is averaging well more than ten havoc plays every game. It's a very havoc heavy defense. What do you think? I'm gonna say over. I, I think, uh, you know, I think if it is under, uh, they're in trouble. I, I was just trying to pull out some. Hu- this is less about like a prediction game. And it's more just like me pulling out stats I think are really important that are going to be important for us to track during the game, after the game, just things to think about as we're watching the game. So Jarrett Stidham is definitely a, a great weapon. I think he, if he plays his cards right and everything kind of, all the planets align, so to speak, he'll do he'll have a really great NFL career. But I think he he's a good quarterback is all I'm trying to say. So my over-under for Jarrett Stidham, I have two Jarrett Stidham over-unders actually, but okay. the first one is a 62.5% completion rate for Jarrett Stidham today. Who sixty two and a half percent, which is pretty typical, you know. Yeah, a, a great quarterback um, has a seventy percent completion rate. I'm gonna say under. I don't think he's gonna have a very good game. I think that's fair. I, I think it is definitely gonna be a. Th- the thing is, like the numbers might play against us in this, and he might throw a lot less, which is really not common for him. But he might throw a lot less if they end up just uh, running it, the ball all day. If they run with success, yeah, he's got a better chance of hitting that. 
mm-hmm. but I think that this is going to, I think they're going to have a tough time running on us if only because I think we looked really good last week and I think we're going to start playing more of these super, super recruits that we've recruited. And I just think that just, just because they have the talent to be better at running doesn't mean they're suddenly just going to like get right against us. I'm going to say, I'm going to say under as well. We're two, we're, we're both pretty, we're in lockstep. We're in lockstep today. That's, today, that's yeah. definitely. What's your last one? I'm going to say over under 10 Justin Field snaps. A classic. <laughs> that, that is classic. <laughs> and I'm going to say over. And I and I keep saying this because I want it to happen. And actually, this time, I think it might happen. You know, What's-His-Face has a bone bruise. Um, mm-hmm. what's, uh, <laughs> you know, old What's-His-Face. Old What's-His-Face. The starting quarterback for the Number Jordan 11. What's-His-Face. Uh, number 11. Jake Fromm has a bone bruise, or is what I've heard. Or something, Something's going on with his knee. Something's bruised. Something does not look great. And so I I just don't – I'm not sure that they're going to have any choice. And I also just think that he is going to have an issue – he's going to have issues with – just in general, he's not going to be able to keep it on the read option. Okay. I think just to be divisive, I'm going to go under because, you know, I don't think we've we've gone over on this Justin Fields over under all year. So Oh, we, we have not. No. We have not. And this I, is, this yeah. is a well – this is well a well I keep going to because I'm an idiot. <laughs> this is a low hanging fruit for me, really. Yeah, uh, yeah. You, you're getting you're getting this one. You're getting this one for free a lot. We'll see. I mean, watch him start the game or something ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, over under Jared Stidham two and a half sacks on the day. Two and a half sacks. Which I remember last year there was a game. I don't remember who they played, but they had like a he got sacked eleven times or something ridiculous last year. Like Auburn started last year real slowly. I remember. Two and a half sacks. Hmm. If I'm going to say that he's going to have under 62.5% completion, mm-hmm. that probably means that he's going to have more sacks. More than two and a half sacks. So I'm going to say over. Okay. I'm going to say under because I think two is probably right where we need to get him. I don't think this is a team that we need to play that crazy with. We don't need to blitz that hard. So That's true. But I think we might just get some because he'll just throw a good it, throw Yeah, it could very well happen that he just keeps throwing. I mean, he throws almost 30 times a game, most games, like somewhere between yeah. 25 and 30. So that's... So many chances for us to hop in that pocket and mess Jared Stidham up. Hop in that pocket. Hop in that pocket. Put that on a bumper sticker and sell it. Predictions. I already had a good bubble st- bu- bumper sticker. <laughs> uh, Vegas has this game at a 14.2 point margin with UGA favored. S&P Plus gives it a 12.9 point favorite. And uh, ESPN's got it at 9 points. What's your prediction of this game? Okay, so I tried to make all my over-unders pretty consistent. And talking through this... And uh, just a little inside baseball. We just recorded an hour of this and missed it. So uh, we are so fine-tuned and, now. Yeah, yeah. This is a, We had a dress rehearsal. You know? <laughs> That's how I'm thinking about it. I think a couple of things might happen here. I think this game is going to be close at halftime. I don't think we're going to blow them out in the first half. I think I could see this being a 10-3 game either way. But I also think that this is a team that Auburn is a team that has a very good defensive line but has some weaknesses in their defense and is just not efficient in on offense. And I think as the half wears on and we get into the second half that we might see UGA have pretty good success defensively against Auburn. Um, You know, one of the hallmarks of Kirby Smart's defense and his, his time in the SEC is that he's traditionally been very successful against Auburn um, other than when they had Cam Newton, which, you know, nobody really was that year. Um, So, I think we could have some success against their D in the second half, which I think would put more or against their offense in the second half, which I think puts more and more pressure against their defense. I also think in the first half that we're going to have some success on big plays. 
And if we can kind of set that combination of factors into motion, which is to say it's a close game, but we are putting pressure on the defense with explosive plays and we're keeping their offense off the field, that is going to put more and more pressure on Auburn to do one of two things, either A, to blitz, or B, to play back and put fewer people in the box to prevent the explosive play. In either situation, I think UGA eventually wears down this defense that is very, very, very good just simply by putting too much pressure on them, both in the game plan and physically on the field, laterally and horizontally. And so what I could see this being is it's a 10-3 game at half or a 6-10 game at half, but we eventually pull away just by virtue of the fact that we get the run game going. It's going to be very hard to run on them, but I think you know it's pretty clear Kirby Smart wants to run on everybody and he's going to keep doing it even if it doesn't seem to work. But I do think this could be an instance where that kind of stubbornness works out for us if we can keep their offense off the field, which I think we can. So what I see this being is a close game at halftime. I see us hitting a couple of explosive plays towards the end of the half, if not, you know, at the beginning of the second half. And then I think that we might pull away in this game and score like a garbage touchdown. So I'm going to say 31-16. I'm going to change mine slightly from the first time through. 31-16. The way I broke this down the first time around was... (laughs) because <laughs> we did this once before uga i think will hold this ball as often and as long as they want so uga is kind of averaging anywhere from eight to 11 drives per game with anywhere from six to eight of those becoming scoring drives by the end of the game and so what that has looked like most of the time is that six or seven of those have become touchdowns for some of them sometimes less uh but with one, two, anywhere, like three of those being a, a hot rod hero moment. So with all that in mind, I think that this becomes... The, I, I don't think Auburn is the team that stops us like that dreaded uh, Florida moment. So I do think we score on most of these drives. So I think we're going to be in the lower range of the hot rod hero moments. So maybe one, maybe two at most. Where he just hits a he pit just hits a bomb of a field goal, oh, is yeah. what you're saying. I don't think we're going to have any disappointing like from the 10-yard line. At least I, I really hope not. Right, I'm right. crossing my fingers now, hoping that. It well, if happen. you have enough explosive plays, you don't have to play. T- you don't have to play red zone offense. Exactly. So that's kind of what I'm counting on: is that we're a very explosive team. They're very poor against explosive teams, and so I, I feel like this will be more touchdowns than not out of our scoring drives. And so what that looks like to me is anywhere from five to seven of our drives are going to be touchdowns. So with that in mind, that puts me around like a 35, maybe 42 mark. Um, I think 42 feels a bit much for a heated rivalry like this. And especially, you know, now that we know we're going to the SEC championship game, I think we might be playing a bit more conservatively. But we are in that five rank. So it like it goes back and forth. Like there's so many different factors. And I'm not Kirby Smart or a coach by any means. I'm just a guy reading numbers off a sheet. So what my final prediction comes to because of all that, I think it comes to somewhere around the 38-21 mark with UGA coming out on top. Pretty close, pretty close. Both of us kind of feeling like a, a big a big game from UGA's offense, huh? Yeah, I, I definitely think we beat the margin. Uh, that, that to me, is very clear on this. Is When you play a team where the, the, the margin between the explosive offense and defense is so great, it's going to, of course, make explosive moments. And you're going to get more touchdowns than not, I feel. Mm-hmm. We hold the ball well. We draw, we, you know, we, we draw drives out really, really well, too. So we'll see what happens. Very, uh, one of our last segments of the day will be our Ask CBC segment. And, and, and probably, and probably, if we're being honest, also the longest. This is huge today. So 
we asked early and you guys definitely responded. You guys really came out. You really, really did. So hashtag AskCBC. If you want to be on the show, you're always welcome to reach out to us with a hashtag AskCBC on any of the social media platforms, or you can always just reach us through good old-fashioned email at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com, or just yell questions at us when you see us in public. Nathan's at all the games for the most part, so just yell something at the tallest guy you see with the red coats, and you're probably most times correct with yeah. the guy you picked there's out. Only, there's only one other guy my size, and he, we're friends. Yep. <laughs> so the question will get back to you is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so our very first question comes from Harrison at Wow Cool Tweets. He asks, so big picture wise, to this point in the season, what is something you are more encouraged about regarding our program than you expected to be last year and also less encouraged about in relation to expectations? Yeah, um, I'm more encouraged about the fact that it's very clear that the evaluation has been there in these recruiting classes, that they're not just we haven't just been recruiting the the highest, you know, the highest rated recruits everywhere. That's one thing. It looks like a lot of these evaluations that we made are coming through already. Mm -hmm. And that's good. I'm also just encouraged by the fact that like, it seems like Kirby truly has been building this program at a systemic level uh, in a way that I think is good. I'm less encouraged by, and this is not anything on the field. I'm actually really encouraged by everything that's going on in the field. I feel like I had very rational expectations going into this year Mm -hmm. and nothing has really upset me about it. Um, the LSU loss upset me, but it didn't upset me as I'm like, where is this program? What I'm kind of not discouraged by a little, something that's a little worried is that while Kirby, in some reason, in some ways, it's very good as a coach and a decision maker that he likes to just kind of stay the course. I'm a little bit worried about the future of this offense. And I just, you know, for all of the good things that Cheney does, I just don't think that the way he calls an offense is the future. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that he can't change. I think he's a really smart guy. I think he can change the offense. But ultimately, he, I think he might be handcuffed a little bit by what the head coach wants to do. We we are going – I think we are entering an era where you need to score 30 or 40 points a game. And we have been pretty good at doing that. But it's just – it feels like it's been really hard to get there. And I just – I don't know about – how this offense looks going forward. I mean, what if we start Justin Fields next year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's tough. That's, that's a that's a tough situation. My, you know, just a quick snapshot into mine because we do have a lot of questions to get to is like, I'm really encouraged this year by how the offense has played. And I don't have any questions going forward in the next year pertaining to just the personnel and who's going to be in what slots as far as the offense goes, other than the one QB situation. Like usually every year you're like, Oh, we're losing this guy. We're losing this guy. We're losing this guy. What are we going to do? I hope we get good recruits Mm -hmm. next year. Mm -hmm. I am so jazzed that the majority of these kids are staying with 60% of them being underclassmen. So we get one more year with them most likely, which is really cool. Less encouraged is I don't know how we're going to use them all. And in the era we're in, we're entering an era in college football to where it's a lot easier to transfer. If you are really good at football, (laughs) And there are other teams yeah. that need you. And so yeah. that could be something that happens uh, more often than not going forward. Not necessarily with us, but I have a feeling that is something that we might see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Alan Munger at Mung720 asks, who was the more outdated offense, the war chickens with the single wing or the bugs with the option? I mean, I think the options like, I mean, it, it, the answer in a, in, in a, in a, um, in a vacuum, the answer is that it's it's Georgia Tech, but at least Georgia Tech has an identity. Yeah, I don't know what South Carolina. They know who they are. That's yeah. yeah. Pantry Radio asks statistically, what is the percentage of people who like trucks and the percentage of people who think Auburn sucks? Is there a correlation, or did Squidbillies and T Pain get it wrong? 
no T Pain is like the professor emeritus of UGA. I, he's a he he give that man an honorary doctor. I, doctor, I, yes, he, they were absolutely right. Do you have a percentage of the people who like trucks and the percentage of people who think Auburn sucks? I mean, it's pretty high. I, I think, think it's so. most people who are not Auburn of yep. all SEC fans. It's got to be 80, 90 percent, right? <laughs> uh, Abby Key is coming to us with a few questions. Very first one is, what kind of music is on your go-to playlist in the car? You're actually really good about this. You have a lot of playlists that you uh, curate yourself for any given yeah. mood. Uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts when I'm commuting, but lately, for my own like mental stability, I have been listening to a lot more music. Uh, go-to is hard to say. I really like to just like listen to real chill, either like R&B, trip-hop, like electronica kind of stuff in the car. But occasionally, I just go back to the classics. So like today, I was listening to early 2000s emo and pop punk. It was like... <sighs> My Chemical <laughs> Romance and Taking Back Sunday. Don't listen. Listen. <laughs> listen. We don't yuck yuck. Listen. Listen. Yeah, first off, and second off, I'm like Emma Thompson in Love Actually. The, the emo and pop punk taught this cold American man how to feel. And I was not gr- raised with a lot of like ways that to express my feelings. Yep, yep, yep. My go-to is always, uh, I have a, like an original go-to, which one of my first favorite musicians was Ben Folds. Mm-hmm. It just makes me, it's like, it was one of my my touchstones as an angry, uh, nerdy white boy growing up. Uh, I could always go back to Ben Folds, and he could teach me how to be an angry white boy. Oh, can I hold on? Can I can I give one more question? Oh, for sure. Can I give one more answer? My other answer would be the best driving album ever, and IMHO, the Graceland by Paul Simon. So that's my that's my absolute favorite driving album. Oh, best album of all time though? Do you have like a? I think one of the best albums of all time is still Rumors by Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, from start I mean, to finish easily. It's not my it's not my favorite just because it doesn't. I don't have as much emotional resonance with it. But yes, it is definitely. I think it is the best. But I mean, honestly, like my favorite album is probably August and Everything After, followed by August. August and Everything After, followed by Graceland. August and Everything After is Counting Crows. Graceland by Paul Simon to Pimp a Butterfly. Ooh, yeah, Kendrick Lamar. Uh, the very last thing, and then we'll move on. Was my uh, I was gonna say right now my two favorite like driving you you said a good thing driving albums like car album uh the shins came out with an album last year called heartworms and it is i think one of my top five favorite driving albums like there's there's a certain experience that goes with like just driving and like feeling everything around you and like nothing else matters and you kind of feel like you're in a a bubble like a snow globe of a world and uh, that definitely it, it captures it in a very good way and this past year they came out with an additional album that was essentially an inverse of that one where it took all of the songs on that album and they, in a lot of ways, they like turned all the keys in a lot of those songs minor and they just flipped the way, like how they all sound technically. And so they're all in a way mirrors of each other. And the experience is really cool and very neat and very different harkens itself to that first album. It's cool. It's a weird experience. It's really neat to listen to them back to back though. You should do it too, Nathan. I will. What's the other one called? I forget what it's called. The second one is called... It's called The Worm's Heart. Of course it is. Duh. It's an inverse. <laughs> the first one's Heartworms. The second one's The Worm's Heart. Next question was, who do you think Kirby was yelling at on his headset? I mean, it was Jim Cheney. Yeah, I was going to say, that's Jim Cheney. <laughs> He's yelling at Jim Cheney. Yeah, yeah. There's no there's no secret there. Yeah. Number three, which player would you want to grab a beer with on the off season? Which beer would you order them? Uh, Rodrigo Blankenship yes. and whatever he wanted. Actually, I think I think Rodrigo would be, re- would be ready to get weird. I'd get him some like cellar aged 
something on a cask or like um, a bomber of something really obscure. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like a like maybe a real yeasty or a real sour that had been like like a like some kind of farmhouse ale. You know what I mean? Just something real. Like I definitely would not just get him like Tropicalia, even though that's great. I would get him something no, like no. really off the wall. I have. I want to make a true mission and goal for this podcast right now. I was gifted one more bottle of Emergence from Creature Comforts for my birthday. I want yeah. to try our hardest, our damnedest, to, to drink, drink that, that with, with hot rods. With Rod- <laughs> with Rodrigo Blankenship, you're not listening to this, but if anyone who knows Rodrigo Blankenship listens to this, we will. We it is not impermissible for you to come to our house and drink this beer with us. I, I need think to you're drink 21. This with him. I think he's 21. He's a junior. Let's hope so. That, I'm not kidding. Like now, my new goal right now, for now until he leaves Athens, is I have to drink this emergence with Rod- uh, Rodrigo Blankenship. That's all it took. Ryan Clark asks, "Do you like driving in your truck?" Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Everybody has asked this question this week. Two, who, if anyone, do you think goes to the draft other than the seniors this year? Okay, I was I was looking up some stuff for this. If we look at the roster and the juniors, it's like there are people who you could see, but I I don't see any really clear candidates. Here's people that I would see are maybes. Riley Ridley, Isaac Nada, Elijah Holyfield. I think all three, like Isaac Nada would get drafted. Elijah Holyfield might get drafted. Riley Ridley might get drafted. But the problem is all three of them would be leaving because they'd be competing for more playing time their senior years. If, But I don't think any of them are really re- worried about it. Honestly, I don't see a lot of people. I know J.R. Reed is out of eligibility, so he might go. He's not technically a senior. But like Ben Cleveland's a redshirt sophomore. Solomon McKinley's a redshirt sophomore. I just don't see a lot of these guys who are going to be draft eligible going. I'm sure someone will pull a... Um, Oh, well, Trent Thompson and go when they shouldn't like Tyler Clark, Mikhail Carter, David Marshall. All those dudes can play in the NFL. I just don't know. It's that, not like, time. Yeah, I, I don't think anybody who is a junior is going to get this insane evaluation. Like, I, how, how old is Mikol? Mikol Hartman? I think he's a junior now. Mikol Hartman is one I could see going. I just don't know that he would have any desire to. Like, yeah, he's a junior. Yeah. It's just like I... I think most ki- most people on this team think they're going to be better next year. So for most of them, it's just like, why not come back and yeah, be better? It's true. Yeah. Why not come back, pull the Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb and come back and go to national championship? Because next year's team definitely has a huge chance of doing that same thing. Uh, Jeff Malmquist, he came at us. He actually got in touch with us with a, uh, a story. Uh, I think he was inspired by the Kentucky fans question. And did so, he have an he had an email he, yeah he sent a couple emails one one day sent it to us and it was more he he came back in the second one and said my bad that that was less of an ask cbc and more of like a tell cbc and so <laughs> he came back with an ask cbc but this story from what i can tell i'd really like to get him on to to kind of talk about this because from from what i can just read uh he hates auburn a lot and you and i don't really yeah. have the experiences that he has had with them yeah, he's had some crazy stuff. Yeah, he says he, he's been to every SEC stadium except for Texas A&M. And for him, no doubt in his mind, the biggest the biggest arrogant a-hole fans uh, with a severe Napoleon complex is the barn. Uh, Auburn fans consist of the following types of fans. And he goes on to say, total chode frat boys who do stuff just to start fights with anyone not wearing... <laughs> They're terrible colors, is what I will say, including true story, my 63-year-old female tailgating friend, or I also love that Jeff Malmquist has a, he has a specifically 63-year-old female tailgating friend. Like, that's a really specific subset of a person. And I think that that's very, that that's got to be important to this person in defining who they are. 
Uh, and so I'm very interested. I want to meet the 63 year old female tailgating friend. So I bet they could. I bet they could drink both of us under the table. For sure. Jeff, if you're tailgating this Saturday, will you let me know, and I will show up at your tailgate. Like Nathan won't because he can't, but I will be tailgating this weekend. I'll be hopping, man. I want to meet you. I want to meet your 63 year old female ta- tailgating friend. Let's hang out. T- two. Or, what's that? What's the second type? Oh, the second type of Auburn fan is people who don't actually know how to play football and just like to go to games to yell at referees to throw flags on their beloved Tigers. And uh, he goes on to tell his favorite story was that when they visited UGA, uh, Auburn fans visited UGA, they like to reserve their, tail- their tailgate spots. Uh, he doesn't know if they still do, but years ago in Auburn, you could just tape off your tailgate the night before. And there was an implied rule that you got squatters rights, essentially, that no matter what time you arrived the next day, it was yours. And so for him, he says it was always hilarious when they would arrive for their tailgate spot in Athens at 6.30 a.m. They would find yellow tape around their spot. Laugh hysterically as they took it down and then laughed even harder when they showed back up the next day at noon wondering why they couldn't sit in their spot they taped off. So uh, then he goes on to say, anyway, keep up the great work. Looks forward to the show. I want to tailgate with you, Jeff. Yeah, man. Let's do this thing. Yeah. I'll tailgate I could enough. Come to, I could, it'll be really late last time, but I could come to an after tailgate. I just can't come to a before tailgate. That's true. Yeah. yeah. So like if anybody, if anybody wants to talk, if anyone wants to host us in the Georgia Tech game, uh, I'd be interested in that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He did actually come back with a question. It was, in our opinion, besides us, of course, which college football columnist, reporter, talking head is the most level-headed, unbiased, and genuinely smart person that we could really lean on for good information? And conversely, who is the biggest blowhard or dolt who has no idea what they're talking about and should probably go back to flipping burgers? Uh, there's a lot that I trust. Um, do you have anybody before I go off on this like crazy tangent? Because this is a question I know a lot about. Oh, yeah. The top three that come to mind for me, of course, are uh, Love Bill Connolly. Love Seth Emerson. Oh, Seth Emerson is great. Yeah, and I love Will Leach. So those are my top three. Seth Emerson is a true... Uh, we are lucky to have him. He's a true old school beat reporter. And I don't mean that like as a damning him with fate praise. Like he's a real journalist. Like he keeps it... He plays it straight. He's honest. He doesn't... He doesn't... He's not a homer. You know, I love that. I like Will Leach a lot. I mean, I, I love Will Leach, but like I know him. So it's weird to be like, trust this guy. Like, yeah. I know him sort of a little bit. But yeah, he's a great journalist. Um, Will Leach is, I will say, Will Leach is a little bit biased, but he is definitely yeah, well, Will, smart. Will Leach, I think, <laughs> is one of the better writers writing in sports uh-huh. right now. Yeah, for um, sure. And so I, I love that about him. Bill Connolly, obviously. Um, Bill Connolly's sort of podcast partner, Stephen Godfrey, he's another guy who plays it straight. He's can be almost combative about how straight he'll play it. And I really appreciate that about him. I'm trying to think of other people I really like. Um, I don't mind. Rusty Manziel, 24-7, is good. Um, he's, you know, I, the, the pay sites are what the pay sites are, but I think they're good. Riding to Bolsey at Rivals is also good. Both, you know, the, both of those guys, they they traffic. It, it's just a different world. You know, the standards are different in terms of what they report. And I'm not saying that as a, sh- you know, to be mean to them. I'm just saying, like, they don't have to, if they're giving you, like, a VIP profile on what they think about a recruit, they don't have to, like, triple source it. So it's just kind of a different, it's a different set of things. I also just really, oh, so a couple of others. Cole Kublik, he is a former Auburn guy who works at SEC Network. He's a great Twitter follow. He does a lot of like individual breakdowns about offensive line technique and stuff. That's really great. Lots of good stuff. And I think that's about it. As for blowhards, there's only really one. I don't really want to call anybody out. There aren't a lot of people I really <laughs> feel that. I mean, I I don't know if I would call him a blowhard. I just kind of think like Clay Travis is kind of just a dinosaur (laughs) so it's hard it's no i mean he i like i i don't want to i don't know how to say that like in a i just like whatever man i don't is it an unpopular opinion for me to say i do not like paul feinbaum at all 
No. Yeah, no. I don't like I mean, him at all. I, I mean, I think Paul Feinbaum, I don't know if Paul Feinbaum would say that he's a journalist. I don't think he, he's, he's a, an he's entertainer. A yeah, he's a personality for yeah, sure. Yeah, he's a personality. Clay Travis is, one, is a person who is pretending to be a journalist. Hey, I, I will also say everybody at The Athletic is pretty good. Stuart Mandel has kind of a checkered reputation among Georgia fans for a lot of reasons. But I mean, I really do think uh, he's a good reporter. He can be a little smarmy uh-huh. for my taste, but he, I think he really, like if he says something, I generally think it's true. Pat Forty is kind of the same way. Um, and the guy who he does the audible with is also very good. That's not Pat Forty. That's um, uh, Bruce Feldman. Bruce Feldman is also quite good. Both of those guys are at The Athletic. I, I Really, my, my big sources are The Athletic, Rivals, and 24-7. Yep. Generally speaking, if you are at getting them from a, an, a paid employee of any three of those sites, you feel okay about it, especially The Athletic, who just is like a very... Very, they seem to have very strict journalistic standards, which I like. Yeah, so we have a few more questions, uh, all from the same person. But what would the dog's average yards per carry look like if not for the two fumbles in the Kentucky game? The high snap and the muffed handoff is what he's uh, asking about specifically. And uh, where would that yeah, put us ahead. in the stats compared to other teams? Well, they, those don't count as uh, carries because they, they're just turnovers. Um, so it's kind of conjecture, but I'm imagining our yard. We would have probably gotten an extra yard or two. We were in on both of those drives. We were kind of playing. We were running the ball at will on both of those drives. So I, it's hard for me to say because that's one of those like you can't disprove something that didn't happen or whatever. I would say we probably would have had an extra yard. And I guess where would that put us in the stats compared to other teams? It, it wouldn't necessarily. I think it would be a wash. I mean, we, our our yards per carry, our efficiency is good. Yeah, our efficiency is good regardless. So and our efficiency continues to grow game to game. So we're doing okay. It's not so bad. Ain't so bad. Our efficiency is our best five-factor stat as well still, on offense anyway. Next question, John Paul underscore 0071. Same question could apply to the atrocious goal line attempts against Florida. What was it? Six plays for negative two yards total. It was seven plays, I think, for a gain of... It was a few yards gain because it started back closer to the 10... There was a pass interference that pushed us closer, but it was most, it was all under goal line. Goal line was the, was where the sticks were. I mean, I I, see. Okay. So I'm not being dismissive of this question. It is definitely a good question. I think it's hard to get those numbers in because I mean, I could, I could do the arithmetic real, real quick, but it really wouldn't change things that much. Although I do think that what I think he's trying to get at, and he can correct me if I'm wrong, is just the idea that like, this team is two or three plays away throughout the year. There's two or three plays in each game that if they execute just a little more cleanly, this is an offense that goes from like very good to like, Al- you know, third to Alabama and uh, uh, like fourth to Alabama, Oklahoma and Clemson. Like we could definitely be in their same stratosphere if we had just converted two or three other plays and not just shot ourselves in the foot. Mm-hmm. He comes through with one more question. And it, it, this question is, is not about football. But it's more pertaining to uh, something that we, we kind of said in a fleeting moment. And it was a, a moment where we got away from our stats brains and we, we shared a little bit about our personal opinions. And so I, I wanted to answer this question because it is important to me. And I know it's important to you. And I, I want to share why it's important to me. And uh, But hold on, hold on. Before, before we, we go into answering it, I want to give a, 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 a very brief caveat, which is to say, normally, Nathan... And to a much, much lesser extent, Justin, we, we, we go, I go pretty hard at things and I've been known to rant and rave and be mean about things. But I do want to say that, and Justin and I, Justin said this before 
we recorded and I think it, it bears repeating, which is that, you know, we're, we're, we're answering this question out of love and we don't mean this in a way. And that I, I mean that a hundred percent sincere with all sincerity, which is that, you know, sometimes the way you deal with kind of awkward questions like this or questions when you're confronted with something uncomfortable is you just have to spread information. And we very well may not change the mind of the person who asked this question, but I think it's important to both of us to try to give an honest answer for why the way we think we do, yeah, why we think the way that we do. Carry on with your with your context. Yeah, the, the best way to answer questions like this is not with hate or divisiveness. It's with love. And, um, and, and, and just I think we're both going to try to be really authentic. There is a very specific reason that both of us have very strong opinions about this question. Yes, very much so. And so the, the question is, uh, it starts out, I love you guys, but the idea, uh, while latched onto at institutes of higher education, that gender is a social construct is preposterous. And so he just wanted to add his two cents, he says, to the discussion. So, And I think that's really important, is that this is a discussion. This is not me telling you. It's not you telling me. It's adding it to a discussion. Because the way that you learn and the way you gain perspective and the way you love each other is through discussion. Because if we just tell each other what we think constantly, it gets us nowhere. And it just adds to that divisive gap. I will try to answer this question. You can try to answer this question. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you do a lot of the heavy lifting here because I think this is something you're more prepared to at, to answer than I am. But I do think let, let me let's take a moment. Let me just prompt you with this: is that I'm gonna say um, I think both of us just talk about sort of where we're coming from when it comes to our personal experiences with our opinions about gender and sexuality in general. Which is that I mean, I, you can go first if you'd like, and I you know sure. I mean, I, I could definitely do that, and and I don't want to say this as a as a way of saying like. Some people will say, like, I know so much about the subject because this, I know this, or I know this, I know this person, but it's just your, this is just your experience. And as way of, as way of explanation for why two straight white cis guys have such strong opinions about the, about the, you know, like, we're definitely not like in an out group. We both live very privileged. We both live very privileged lives. Within that pr- privilege, you can leverage that privilege to then speak to people that might not come into contact with this kind of worldview or perspective. And so, uh, I like to joke sometimes that this is my way of using my powers for good, while my power is the power of influence, because we have a small audience that listens to us on a regular basis. And so I think it's important to share important uh, information and important uh, viewpoints. And, and so my my experience comes from my best friend is a transgender woman who was assigned male at birth and has gone through um, a lot of change, both uh, mentally, physically, hormonally, all sorts of things she would like to be viewed and she would like to express herself as a woman now. The thing is, like, and I don't like to say, like, for the sake of conversation, I have to define it as I know a transgender woman. But in my world, I want you to understand that this person is a person. This person is a woman. She is she, you know, and, and that's that's essentially it, is that we're all vessels. This is something that the way she put it earlier that I really liked is that um, we're all vessels. We're all these, like, these meaty soup bowls and we all have the same stuff inside and we decide what to put inside over time but on the outside we're still just a bowl of soup with just gunk and goo inside and why does it matter how we choose to make our bowl look or what we decide to pick up along the way and what sloshes out on the way to wherever we're going because it doesn't uh at the end of the day we're all just big bowls of soup Well, yeah, well said. Yeah, <laughs> I like to learn and I like to teach through metaphors and analogies. And that, that helps me understand if I have a point of reference, I'm able to really tie myself back to an idea or a subject. And so that's that's where I, I tend to, to stay. 
But did you want to share a piece? Well, I mean, it's similar. It's hard. It's hard to be like, oh, well, I know a gay guy. I, I would just say that. Uh, I, I mean, I've known a lot of LGBT people, uh, but my experience has been that you know, when you become friends with someone and you love them, you don't. Why would I? For me, it's like it, it's hard for me to get caught up in it. You know what I mean? At all. When I was raised in a very, very liberal household, uh, which explains a lot of the way that I am. But, you know, it's just hard. It's difficult for me to see why it's a problem a lot of the time. I guess that's what I would see. And because if you if you love someone and you care about them, it's just kind of like, okay, yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's it's like, yeah. Yeah. Your friend wants to be when your friend told everyone that she wanted to be a woman. My reaction was like, cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's all right. Yeah. We're moving. We're moving on. Like, I, I don't it doesn't. It's still you. And doesn't yeah, bother and me. And when you're when you're in a, when you have experience with people, and you know, like one of my one of our closest family friends, one of my best friends, of my dad growing up was a gay guy. And when I found out he was gay, because I was young enough when it happened, it was just kind of like, sure, okay, but let's get to the issue at hand. So let's let's talk about it. I, you've already kind of talked a little bit about. I have, it, but... yeah, just a little bit. So so the the I think I think the real crux of this question comes from the idea of gender and why is a social construct. So taking a social construct and understanding the definition of what that is, uh, in which it is the joint understanding that we've all developed um, together of the world that forms a basis of our perceived assumptions of reality. And so together, through our our environments and our nature, our, our, our nurture versus nature, excuse me, we've, we've grown to understand just how the world works, why it is and how it is, and what it does when you poke it and what it does when you prod it. And together, we've decided whether it's because I've done it and you've told me or I've told you about it or you've done it and you've told me about it. We've all kind of come, come to an understanding that this is just what it is. And that is, to me, what a social construct is. And the reason why that's important and the reason why we, we take that and we can define gender is that is because, just like I said a moment ago, my I, I like to, to go back to a point of reference. and like to have an analogy. What I'll go to now is, since this is a football podcast, we'll talk about it in football terms. And so, look at it like this. Okay, I'm, I'm ready for you this. ready? Okay, I'm doing that, that thing you do with paradoxes and, um, you know, poems and things yeah, and relating yeah. it back to football. So, say I show up to your football game. And I show up, you're like, we're going to play football. We're going to play at 3 o'clock. And I show up and I'm like, I'm ready to play football. You know, I'm the new kid uh, in town and I want to play football with you guys. That's what I used to do back home. And so, I come out, put the football down and I start kicking it around. And I'm like, where's the goal? And you're like, it's that thing. It's that thing in the back of the field and it points in, into the sky and you're supposed to, that, that's the goal. And you're like, that's not a goal. That's not a goal I've ever seen before. And you keep kicking it around and everyone's like, no, that's not how this works. You, That's not how this game works. You know, this game has rules. You have to play it like this. And, you know, you have to pick up the ball and you have to throw the ball and you can't kick the ball around like that. That's not how you do it. It's not okay. Like all of us know that that's not how you play it because this is football. And you say, well... I come from this place and football back home is played with a ball that's really different from this one. And the way we score points, is we kick it in the goal and it's not worth seven because that's dumb. My rules are different than your rules because that's what we've been taught within the places where we've come from, the environments we've come from, the societies. Your rules and your game only have power over me as long as I believe in them and as long as I follow them. Because at the end of the day, I could go back and play my football or I could pick up your ball and I could run home with it and you don't have a ball to play with but the thing is like within your team and your culture and your society that understands that American football is football because that is what this group of people have all jointly developed a basis for and an assumption for within their reality that is your social construct of what football is and this this is kind of like an asinine and really diluted way of explaining this concept but it's it's a very digestible and very relevant way to do it at the end of the day it definitely falls flat because we're still talking about a game 
at the end of the day, these two concepts are very different. The big difference is that one is a game and one is someone's life and their experience. And that's why this is important to me. And I can really tie this all back around and say, like, at the very beginning of the episode, you mentioned that this is a safe space and this is a place where we can all be ourselves and live our truest lives. And it's a space where I talk about this a lot to people. When I tell people I have a football podcast, it doesn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people that I live with in my echo chamber that is Athens, Georgia. But what I share with them is that it's more than that. It's a group of people that we have, I hope, created a space for where people can talk about a thing they're just passionate about in a way that makes them comfortable. Because there are too many instances in life, day in and day out, that we all come into contact with where people tell us that we're not allowed to like a thing because of the way we look or the way we've been perceived or the, what groups we belong to. Uh, but but this is a safe space where you can like the thing you like because it's what you like. And there's no other reason other than that that you have to cling to or you have to make excuses for as to why you're here and why you want to do this thing. That's really the whole point of this whole thing is that we're all just trying to hang out and live and love and and enjoy a thing we all enjoy together. Absolutely. Amen. And ultimately, and at the end of the day, some of, a bunch of people, maybe you skipped forward to this yeah, point and that's, that's fine. fine. The message you should take away whether you listen to that whole spiel or not is that you know, we're willing to address these like very serious questions. Um, and as long as everyone is respectful, like it's going to be, I mean, like, I don't, I'm not upset at the person who asked this all. question. I'm glad he did. And there are two things we always hold true. It's we don't yuck yums and go dogs. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, honestly, like this has been Shovel Bill Curve. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere you can subscribe to a podcast. Also Spotify. Hey, you can get in touch with us by searching, uh, Shuffle Bell Curve on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Uh, also, go check out our website, chapelbellcurve.com, or send us an email at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please, please, please give us a rating and review on iTunes or whatever your rating service of choice is. And we really appreciate you spreading the good word. And we will catch you this weekend in the Classic City, hopefully yeah. uh, doing a very, very excited rendition of Angel Tag at some point. I like that. And until then, go dogs. Go dogs. Yeah. Pizzle. I like driving in my truck. He likes to drive in his truck. Auburn sucks. Auburn sucks. I like driving in my truck. He likes to drive in his truck. Uh, Auburn sucks. Auburn sucks. I like trucks. He likes trucks. I don't, uh, I don't care for Auburn. He doesn't care.